Uh, if you noticed in the bulletin, uh, the, the lesson for this morning and this evening has the same scripture text. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 for, again, this morning's lesson and this uh, evening's lesson. And so hopefully you'll come out back tonight as we sort of uh, divulge into this lesson on uh, a particular uh, individual, the thief on the cross. But this morning we're going to look at all three of the crosses uh, there on Calvary. Again, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. But before we get there, uh, let me uh, remind you about this. Uh, The Apollo 11. Uh, Do you recall this? You know, this was back in the 60s. Uh, Maybe you were uh, around during that time. Uh, In Congress, uh, the special joint session of Congress in 1961, President JFK said this. He said, I believe this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. And if you remember at this time, you know, the United States wasn't necessarily, you know, in first place and everything. The Soviet Union at that time was sort of winning the space race, you know, and so the United States was putting an extra effort into getting a man on the moon before. And this was pretty a bold statement by JFK to to say this, that we're going to get a man on the moon by the end of this decade. Well, as the 60s progressed, you know, the NASA came up with this Apollo program. Of course, the Apollo 1 ended in tragedy in 1967 when three of the astronauts uh, were, were killed in a fire that happened in an explosion on that, uh, that ship. And, well, Apollo 7 came along a year later, and this actually was successful. They were able to man an orbited spaceship or around the Earth, and it was successful. But it was Apollo 11 in 1969 that we are very familiar with. July 16, 1969, three men, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins. Uh, they, they manned the ship that traveled over 240,000 miles. Uh, it took three days, and they entered the moon's uh, orbit. And the next day, we recall, you know, remember Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they separated from the, co- the command module, which, uh, you know, coincidentally enough, was named Columbia. And they piloted the eagle to, to the moon. You know, the, the eagle has landed. You know, that's where that comes from. And the next day after that, you know, Neil Armstrong, uh, he, he, he accomplishes the vision of JFK. July 20th, 1969, he steps off that ladder. He plants his foot into, the, into that powdery surface of the earth's surface, or excuse me, of the moon's surface, and he echoes those words that, you know, we forever will remember. That's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And later that day, you know, the, the president at that time was Richard Nixon, and he took a phone call from the astronauts all the way from the moon. You know, talk about long distance. But, but, but Nixon said of that that this was the most historic telephone call to ever take place at the White House. And again, we've seen the footage. We, we've heard the audio. It's imprinted. It's etched into our mind. It's going to go down as one of the most significant days in human history. Those three men, the, those three historic lives. But this morning, you know, July 20th of 1969, pales in comparison, it, it pales in comparison to the, the day that the Christian knows that, that Jesus was crucified, the most pivotal and important day in the history of the world. Right? The hub of history, of human history, revolves around this day that Jesus and our hopes, 
because of that day on the cross. The blood that Jesus shed because of the cross uh, that was powerful enough to wash away the sins uh, all the way in the past and all the way into the future. And it was that day that Jesus made atonement for our sins. So that being said, you know, when we read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of, the, of Jesus being crucified on the cross, we might wonder sometimes, why, why is there recorded these instances of these few criminals who are uh, taken along the way with Jesus? You know, why did the gospel writers give space within Scripture to these irrelevant thieves? You know, why did the Holy Spirit decide to you know, waste ink, if you will, on these men's lives? You know, again, they are irrelevant to the scheme of redemption. The cross of Jesus is the main cross, right? Behind me, well, you can't see it because the screen is down, but there's one cross right there, right? There's not three crosses because it's the one cross of Jesus that is most important. And why, again, why would the gospel writers want us to lose focus on Christ in this moment and maybe taken off into a different direction and think about these two thieves with him as well? Well, this morning, as we begin this lesson, we want to understand that this was not a waste of ink. This was not a waste of space. This was no accident. The fact is the death of these other thieves and their crosses are not insignificant, nor was it recorded as unnecessary filler. Now, again, of course, the cross of Christ is the central cross. That's the important cross. But there are lessons that we can learn this morning from those other two crosses as well. And so what we're going to do this morning is briefly look at the three crosses, what we can learn from each of them, again, on this most historic day that has ever transpired. And you know, let's just set the stage for where we are in Luke chapter 23. Of course, Jesus has been arrested. He's been forced to go through these, uh, these trials, these shams, uh, trials. Remember, first he goes before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And then he's brought before uh, the governor Pilate and even King Herod. And you remember Pilate, he found nothing wrong with Jesus. He wanted to release Jesus. But the Jews kept saying, crucify him, crucify him, take him away. And so as Jesus was led away to be crucified, remember, he runs into this man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. And Simon is really, he's obligated to help uh, Jesus carry his cross to Calvary. Well, notice in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32, uh, let's notice these first two verses. It says, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. When they had come to the place where the skull, uh, they were crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Again, as Jesus is being taken to Calvary's hill to be crucified, he is accompanied by two other criminals to be crucified, one on his left and one on his right. Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, tells us that uh, when Jesus is crucified along with the two other criminals, that both of those criminals were uh, insulting Jesus. They were blaspheming Jesus. But notice, as was read for us by Nathaniel here a moment ago, starting in Luke 23, verse 39, notice how things sort of changed for one of them. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered 
and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Again, three men, three crosses at Calvary on this historic day. Again, two of these men uh, we often refer to as thieves. Uh, But a better translation of them comes as robbers or criminals because, you know, these aren't men who are, you know, cat burglars who will sneak in uh, under the the height of darkness to uh, maybe uh, steal something or pickpocket you. But no, these were criminals. These were robbers. These were individuals who uh, wouldn't be ashamed to uh, steal something at you at gunpoint. And so. This was also prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. Again, three men, two were sinners. One was there because of their sins and the sins of everyone else's. And as they hung there, again, one said, rescue us, you know, save yourself and us. But the other thief, he spoke up in the defense of Jesus. You know, again, earlier he, he was right alongside blaspheming Jesus, but now he's turned to Jesus's defense. And we don't know why, you know, maybe it was a, an unrecorded conversation Jesus had with the other thief. Maybe it was the thief seeing the, the, the day turn to darkness for those three hours that made him realize that Jesus was who he said he was. But he said to the other thief, we are here because we deserve this. He has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus reassured him again that this day you will be with me in paradise. Again, three men, three crosses, three different attitudes. What can we learn from each of these this morning? And so the first one we want to look at is the cross of Jesus. On this central cross, a man died for sin. This is a cross about redemption. The cross of, de- de- of Jesus, it demonstrates the depth of God's love. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it talks about uh, the blood of Jesus, that it's a precious blood, that, that it's unblemished and spotless. You know, we, we've taken uh, last week and uh, some of our Bible classes talking about John three sixteen to some extent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, that's... Uh, telling us that the, the depths of God's love, uh, that he died so that we could live. That for those thieves, for, for those Roman soldiers who crucified him on the cross, for you and me, right? God gave us his only begotten son. And that's the depth of God's love. He said, I will give you my son, my only begotten son, my only unique son. Again, if you were here with us last week, you know, we, we sort of tackled this subject, the, the depth of God's love. And so I'm not going to spend too much time on this point. But if you recall that illustration I gave uh, of sort of, you know, God demonstrating his love for us like, like a billboard or, or like, you know, a, a proposal. You know, if I want to demonstrate my love for someone, you know, I might in public get down on my knee and confess my love and ask that person to marry me. You know, because I'm publicly demonstrating that love to one another. God demonstrated his love. For you and I, by, by uh, 
by sending his son to the earth to be crucified, to hang on that cruel cross. And again, it's as almost as God's billboard. They are showing us how much he loved us. Well, of course, Jesus' mission on earth was to seek and to save the lost, right? Those three and a half years where he ministered, seeking and saving the lost, it climaxed in that sacrifice of his life to pay the price for our sins. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, and notice a few verses here that, that Peter gives us. In 1 Peter, starting in chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Again, when we look at this account here in Luke or in any of the other gospel accounts, we notice that Jesus was reviled. Right? He was taunted. He was challenged. They said, if you are the Christ, you know, show us. Come down from that cross. You know, they hit him. They spat upon him. They reviled him. They cursed him. They did all of these things. But instead of doing that, instead of accepting their challenge, He verified his love for you and me by staying on the cross. Again, the cross of Jesus demonstrates the depth of God's love. You know, we can ask a question to ourselves this morning. You know, uh, for most of us, we are parents. Would you and I give our child to, to, uh, to demonstrate our love for someone? Maybe a family member, uh, maybe a friend. Maybe for just a good person in general. But then what about evil? What about an evil person? What about someone who reviled you and mocked you and cursed you? Would you give your child for that person? I know I haven't gotten to that point and maybe never will. But that, again, is the depth of God's love. This is a cross of redemption. It demonstrates the depth of God's love. Let's notice the second cross. Whether it's on his right or his left, we don't know. But this is the cross of the penitent thief, a man who died to sin. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 24 that we just read told us that Jesus died so that we could die to sin. It is a cross not of redemption, but of repentance. This is the cross of the penitent thief who demonstrates not the depth of God's love, but the scope of God's love, right? We might ask, Christ died for who? You know, someone who may have wasted their entire life, Uh, someone who maybe doesn't have anything to offer society, someone who may have given a deathbed confession. And the answer to the, the thief gives us here is yes, that this is the thief's message on his cross. You know, how many come to realize in their lives that maybe I've been wasting my life all these years? Well, you know, that's a good question to ask. Because now, 
When you focus on that, now you have hope. Maybe it's caused you to wake up. You know, maybe it was a death in your family, or maybe it was a scare that you had. Death is now staring you in the face. And you think, I got to change. What can I do? Is it even worth changing? You know, I'm too sick now, or or I'm too old. I I can't preach. I can't convert to loss. I can't go to door. Is there hope for me? Well, the account of the thief on the cross says yes. Yes, there is hope. You know, the, the fact that Jesus died on the cross does not secure our salvation. Notice what Paul writes to to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, uh, and godly in the present age. Right? Paul says to Titus, The grace of God has appeared to all men, but you got to do something about it. You've got to take hold of it. You've got to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And you've got to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. You know, Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, he warns the Christians there not to receive the grace of God in vain. Right? Some hear the message and accept it, but then do nothing else with it the rest of their lives. You know, don't receive it in vain, Paul says. And we have to respond. When we think of the thief on the cross, the repentant thief on the cross, what did he have to offer God in that moment? All he had to offer was an apology. All he had to offer was a changed heart. Now, of course, when we think of Jesus uh, during his life on the earth, you know, while he was on earth, he had the power to forgive sins, right? Uh, there, there are many accounts where uh, he, he forgives individual sins, uh, while he is on earth, they are with him. But now, of course, he, in a little while in the scriptures, he's going to die. And a new covenant is going to be enacted. The New Testament. The, the, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But at this point in history, while Jesus was still on earth, he told the thief, the thief who had that repentant heart, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, we have this parable that, that we refer to as the laborers in the vineyard. You know, Jesus gives this parable and he begins it by saying, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. You know, the, the, in this parable, the... the uh, The kingdom of heaven, of course, represents the church, represents heaven, and the landowner represents God. Again, in this vineyard is his kingdom. And if you recall, you know, this this master, this uh, owner, he goes out during different parts of the day. He starts at what we would refer to as 6 a.m., the beginning of the day. He goes out and he hires laborers. Uh, He uh, negotiates with them a certain wage, a denarius for the day. And so they go out into the fields and they work a 12-hour day. Well, the landowner, he still needs more work, workers. And so he goes out uh, at 9 a.m. and hires some more. He goes out at noon, hires some more. He goes out at 3 p.m., hires some more. And he even goes out at 5 p.m., one hour before quitting time. And, and he hires more laborers. And we notice in this parable that he pays all of the laborers the same wage. 
And he does that. He, he tells his foreman, start with those who work the 12-hour day and work your way to those who work the one-hour day. And I want you to pay them the same wage. And of course, those who worked the 12-hour day, when they heard this, right, they were quite upset. They said, you've made us equal to us. You, you made them equal to us who only worked an hour of the day. Uh, we've been laboring under the scorching heat of the day, and they're getting paid the same wage for only working an hour. And we notice, again, what the landowner says, who in this parable represents God, uh, towards the end of this parable says, it is not lawful for, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Are you not thankful that we serve a God of the 11th hour? A God who is willing to save an individual, to bring them into his vineyard at the 11th hour with only an hour left to go in that day. Again, the thief teaches me that God will forgive sinners, even sinners who have wasted their lives and maybe feel like they have nothing to give at that point. Now, of course, I would never recommend living life this way. You know, some people will take passages like these and say, well, you know what? I'm just going to live the way I want right now. And as I grow older, maybe someday I'll change my life. You know, I'll sow my wild oats right now, but then later I'll come back to Christ and then I'll, I'll start obeying. But that is no way to live. That is no way to live because we do not know the, the day or the hour that the Lord will return. Your life is but a vapor. You don't know when it will end. Why gamble with your life in that way? Again, this thief, he had nothing to offer to Christ at that moment but an apology, a changed heart from that cross, and God forgave him. And again, we can ask ourselves this morning, what about our lives? Are we like the thief? You know, maybe those who, who are not in the vineyard this morning, maybe you're thinking to yourselves, can God really save me? I've had a past that, you know, it hasn't been, uh, you know, up to the standards that I'd want it to be or that God would want it to be. Would God really save me? Or maybe those who were in the vineyard at one point but had left this morning thinking to themselves, will God really save me? Will he really forgive me? And again, the message from the thief on the cross is yes, because this demonstrates the scope of God's love this morning. That God is even willing to save uh, the thief in, in those moments. And, and the final cross we want to examine this morning is the cross of the impenitent thief. This is a man who died in his sins. This is a cross not of redemption, not of repentance, but a cross of rebellion. See, this man had a choice. And we know that the love of God is free to receive or reject. God doesn't force it upon us. The cross of the impenitent thief demonstrates the freedom of God's love. Have you ever heard of the statement, there's no atheists in foxholes? You know, that, that statement just isn't correct. The idea is, you know, when it comes down to it, to choose life or, or death, or that it's about, uh, you know, maybe death is imminent, that everyone at that moment believes in God. But that just is not the case. And this thief here proves that as well because he has his fist in his air he's turning away from god in rebellion saying god i'm not going to follow you like the other thief i'm going to sit here and blaspheme you and curse you to with my dying breath one more account i want us to look at this morning is in mark chapter 10 starting in verse 17 
You know, we, we, I've often used this illustration of the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. We're familiar with the rich young ruler. Right? He's described for us right there in those words. He's rich, he's young, and he was a ruler. He was a, someone of prominence. And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus tells him, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And at that point, the rich young ruler must be pretty excited because he says to Jesus, I have kept all these things from my youth. I must be doing good. But then Jesus comes back with him and says in verse 21, but one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And of course, Jesus knows what's in this man's heart. He knows that he has many possessions, that he's very materialistic. And Jesus says, you need to get those things out of your life if you want to come and follow me. And notice what happens after this. Verse 22 says, But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Well, what was the reaction of Jesus? Did Jesus run down and race down the road and catch up with the rich young Euler and get down on his knees and beg him to reconsider and maybe say, Well, let's compromise. What can I do to help you to, in your life? But no, that's not the case. Jesus didn't chase after him, but he let the man walk away. He gave him the freedom to choose. Again, God's love is free. We can take it or leave it. We can choose to accept it or reject it. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 said, And having been made perfect about Jesus, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Right? Eternal salvation is linked with obedience. We have that choice to obey him. But unfortunately, many in the life have the attitude of this thief, this impenitent thief. Again, look at Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 41. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You know, the, 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 the penitent thief gets this thing right, right? He, he says that uh, there's no fear of God in you. Right? And that's the problem today as well, is that many uh, do not have the fear of God in them. Right? Worshiping is no big deal. You know, the, the, they assemble when they want to, not assemble every Lord's day. As commanded, uh, studying his word is unimportant to them. Right? Uh, uh, praying is non-existent in their life. And on that day when they stand before God in the judgment, they're going to claim like this thief. This isn't my fault. Right? I was too busy with other things in this life. Or uh, the person who taught me, I, they seemed sincere. I trusted their opinion. There wasn't any reason to go to your word and read it. I, I trusted them. Or... Everyone else is mocking you. Uh, I didn't want to be an outcast. All right? So I followed along with the crowd. Again, the impenitent thief refused to accept God's love. Uh, he had the same opportunity as the other thief. But instead, he used his dying breast to scorn the Son of God. Again, this morning, we have three crosses. We have three men, three different attitudes. This was the greatest day in human history. And on, upon the, the central cross where our sins were forgiven and hope is tied to, 
Between those, uh, or on to the left and to the right of that cross, we have the repentance thief cross, who shows us the scope of God's love. That God is willing to forgive uh, any life if you are willing to change, if you're ready to right the wrongs. Again, we may ask this morning, can you really forgive me? And that thief teaches us, yes, yes, he gave God his heart. Or the unrepentant cross, the thief of that cross, who reveals that freedom of God's love. Again, that was his choice. And he decided to reject Christ as king, to reject Christ as his savior. Again, each of these crosses represents something this morning. Redemption, repentance, and rebellion. I, for one, am glad that the Lord decided to preserve these brief conversations for us this morning to study. It gives me hope and creates within me a sense of awe for the God that we serve. I love what Micah, uh, the prophet Micah in uh, chapter 7, verse 18, as he concludes uh, that book, the, the last question he asks, he says, Who is a God like you? Right? I can't believe that you would forgive as you forgive. Who is a God like you? But again, he does. We're reminded of that great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. This morning, as we offer the invitation, if anyone here this morning has not put Christ on in baptism, we would love the opportunity to um, help you, assist you in that, to become a Christian. The Bible says we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, and turn away from things that are contrary to God's word, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point... Uh, The Lord will add you to his church. He will wash away your sins and uh, you will be asked to follow him the rest of your days obediently, faithfully. And this evening, excuse me, this morning, uh, if you're here as a Christian and maybe you need the prayers of this congregation, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness uh, before your brothers and sisters. uh, Maybe uh, you have some questions. Again, we would love the opportunity to help you, uh, to to serve you in any way that we can. Uh, Please let us know as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.